2: listening to the pastor scott show podcast have any questions or comments email pastor scott now at pastor scott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m and now
1: here's pastor
2: scott
1: hi everybody welcome to the pastor scott show good to be with you i am pastor scott you can call and join the conversation right now by calling 888-528-2557 888-528-2557 I hope that you are on your way someplace having a uh, great, great plans for 4th of July weekend. Maybe you got a fireworks show that you're going to watch. Maybe you got one you're going to do. Maybe you got one you shouldn't do that, uh, you know, so be safe out there with whatever your plans are. Don't start any fires and uh, enjoy the day. Enjoy the freedom that you have to enjoy the day. Maybe it's something that we take for granted. Maybe it's something that we, uh, I don't mean maybe, I think I think we do. We take it for granted, and this is a day when we should celebrate and do all the things that we do, the parties and the barbecues and the picnics and going to the beach and even sitting in traffic, all of those things. We have the great freedom to do it. And uh, I'm going to talk about freedom a little bit this hour, and I think that you'll find uh, there are lots of things that we can take a look at as we think about the freedom of our country, and some things that we need to recover. Because let's be honest, we're struggling in some ways. We are struggling in lots of ways right now. And the big, one of the biggest reasons that we struggle, and this is a point that I'll make here, is that we have lost a national conscience. And I'll share a little bit about what that has meant historically and uh, kind of where that's gone and where that has to come back. The national conscience is an awareness of who we are and who we are meant to be. In a way, it is, hey, we are building something that in the history of mankind has never been made, never been successful, a country that's truly governed by the people. And I think we have a cynicism about that now. We worry an awful lot about that. So we're going to talk about that. I'll give you some historical examples, some biblical examples, Galatians 5. I won't be able to take phone calls this hour, but you can email me at SoCalLive at KKLA.com, SoCalLive at KKLA.com. You know, when we think about our country, there are so many different things that uh, hopefully today you're hearing a lot of things that are inspirational inspirational music you're hearing, hopefully, um, you know, I, I like all the old stuff. I like hearing all the uh, the national hymns and uh, the marches and all of those things. I think they're a big part of the day. I think we should bring them back, you know, and have them a little bit more often at our, our celebrations and things. You're probably hearing some great things about uh, our country and some great statements from our presidents uh, and other leaders in different times. You know, one of our greatest statements ever from a president is john f kennedy who famously said ask not what you can uh what did he say ask not uh what your country can do for you ask what you can do for your country and i'm going to play that clip in a minute but i'm going to play the clip with some context around it you usually just hear that that clip and you know that was not too long ago that was 60 years ago that he said that a little more than 60 62 years ago And so there are people who are listening right now who remember that, and it's something that most of us heard in school, and I'm wondering if it's an ideal that we still have. Do we still say to ourselves, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country, or are we just simply asking, what can our country do for me? And right there, that's the national conscience that has been lost, because I think so often we want to know what our country is going to do for me, not what I can do for my country. It's the reverse, Of what makes a good country. And by the way, that's a reverse of the biblical idea of freedom. We have freedom from Christ, okay? But what we do with that freedom is we serve other people. That if you want to keep your freedom, and this is true spiritually, this is true from the standpoint of your relationship with each other, this is true nationally, you keep, you know, for a nation, you keep your freedom when you love others. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, you will be destroyed by each other. Hello. Pretty good right there from Paul, right? That's And isn't this us in a way is that we're called to be free. We celebrate that today. We know that today. But don't use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another. That is our national conscience, that we remember that we use our freedom to serve one another. In fact, even serving the world, that's what the United States has been known for for such a big part of its 200 years, uh, 246 years. We're going to have a 250th birthday celebration in just a couple of years. And uh, whoever the next president is, will get to press the button or pull the lever or do whatever you do. Uh, you know, they'll have some fireworks display or uh, or something like that. Uh, hopefully, if we uh, remember that we're 250 years old, seems like that's a birthday to uh, to celebrate. No, I'm sure that we will. It'll be a big deal. There's probably already some commission studying what we're going to do for that. It'll be exciting. But are we going to have the same country? Will we be as divided or worse than we are now? I think there's a way forward. And it is with respect to our, our national conference. This is uh, JFK talking about, uh, from his inaugural address, Uh, The famous clip here, Ask Not What Your Country Can Do For You, but this is the context of it, so I rolled it back a little bit, and you'll hear it in context.
3: I do not believe that any of us would exchange places with any other people or any other generation. The energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And the glow from that fire can truly light the world.
1: So he's making a point there that is very interesting. He's, he's part of the issue when he got elected president was because he was so young, uh, 42 or 43 years old, by far the youngest president, and people saw him as the next generation. You know, and everybody always looks at the, the next generation as trouble, right? And what he's doing is he is encouraging his generation of people to lead the country, to take over in the sense, um, you know, not to exclude the other generations, but to say, hey, you know what, this is a a time where the world is noticing that the torch is passing to a new generation. And what he says is that, hey, this generation is going to carry that torch so well that it's going to light up that generation so well that they will be able to pass it on to the future generation once again, and it will even impact the world, It's a very inspirational statement. And then he's going to tell us how we go about doing that.
3: And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country.
1: See, there it is. That's the context of that. The context is, hey, we're a new generation. We are leading into the future. And if we want to lead well, if we want to keep the torch of freedom lit... And all the things that he's talking about, a lot of that speech in that era was about the the dawn of the nuclear age and the fear of nuclear war, which really has not been as serious um, until now, maybe with what's going on in Ukraine, as it was back then. If you've never studied the Kennedy administration or the Cuban Missile Crisis in particular, uh, you should study that. It was a scary moment. There's a great movie about that. It's called 13 Days with Kevin Costner. And uh, Bruce Greenwood plays Kennedy so well in that movie, you think he is Kennedy. Uh, it's unbelievable, and that movie is is very well done. There's some historical stuff in it, and the Kevin Costner character is not exactly probably what that character did, but he's Kevin Costner, you know. Um, great movie, and you really do get a sense for how dangerous that time was for the United States. So he's dealing with that, and he's dealing with the fear of the younger generation taking over, and that makes me wonder, you know, are we afraid of this new younger generation? I don't think we should be ashamed, uh, uh, afraid of it. And everybody's got a younger generation, right? You might be older than me listening, and you're scared to death of my generation. And my generation uh, might be uh, afraid of some other generation coming up, generations uh, X, Y, and Z, uh, and whatever is next. But, you know, I think if people understand what freedom is as we get older, a big part of our job is to let them know. And so he says, ask not to our people. He says, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And then he addresses the world. Oops, I lost it. I do not believe
3: that any of us would exchange places with any other people or any other generation. The energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And the glow from that fire can truly light the world.
1: See, There you go. That is a great comment. And that was leadership. The reason we hear those remarks is because it's inspiring. And, and so often today, what we hear is all the stuff that the government can do for you. Isn't that the campaigning that we hear? This is what we're going to do for you. This is what we're going to give you. Uh, we're giving away free money. Uh, we're giving away all this free stuff. This is one of the reasons that we have struggled And it's one of the reasons we even doubt ourselves a little bit, because we've lost the direction of a national conscience. In that speech, later on, he would say this great comment about having a national conscience. And he was talking about the work that we're going to do in the world. And what do we get from it? He said, with a good conscience, our only sure reward. And that is such a great response. You know, what am I going to get? What are we as Americans going to get if we lead the world appropriately, if we are kind? He has a lot of conversation in that speech about the poor, a lot of conversation about leadership, lots of stuff. What happens? What do we get? And he says, with a good conscience, only our sure reward. The only thing we're guaranteed to get is a good conscience, meaning that we did our best to do the right thing. Later, he says that history will be our judge, that kind of thing. That's a really powerful statement. And that is part of something that we have lost there was a a conscience of our nation and we need to get that back the idea that people generally agreed what was right and wrong and what were moral behaviors they didn't always they weren't all christians and they didn't even all believe in god but most did we had a wisdom though for what was the direction the country should go and how to treat other people and we knew something. We knew that the rights we have come with responsibilities. You know, it's a big part of what today is, right? We're celebrating the Declaration of Independence. And Independence Day, it's, it is a huge deal with the United States, it's except for the freedom brought to us by Jesus Christ on the cross, which is infinitely more important. There has never been a greater moment of freedom for mankind than the Declaration of Independence and in the country that formed in its aftermath. You might be able to say that the exodus of the people of Israel was just as good, and that might be true. But except for those two examples, you do not see countries getting formed or documents getting signed that have granted freedom. As as much as we have denied that freedom to people in different ways, what we did, the reason that we put those documents in a big temple in Washington, D.C., the National Archives, you can go see them. It's like a big temple in there. It's like kind of dark, and it's got, you know— the The lighting is dim to keep those things from from fading even further. You can go in there and you can see the Bill of Rights and you can see the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, the uh, original ones or copies of them, original copies of them. In the Bill of Rights, you have freedoms of religion, speech, press, assembly, petitioning the government, and re- for the redress of grievances. All of that's in the First Amendment. Number two keep and bear arms. Three, right, to ha- not have soldiers quartered in your house. That seems like such an old thing, right? But uh, you never know. Um, unreasonable searches and seizures. Number four. Number five, due process. Number six, speedy public jury trial. I don't think they're too speedy anymore. Speedy is probably uh, you know something we need to get back to. Number seven, trial by jury. Number eight, excessive bail. Number nine is enumerated rights, that there are plenty of rights out there that aren't listed here, but uh, they exist. We're not just saying this is the only bunch of rights we've got. And number 10, that the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution or prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. It's uh, number 10, you know, 9 and 10. We've been hearing a lot about that in the news. That ultimately is the reason for um, the... Reversal of Roe versus Wade is that since abortion is not in that list I just gave you, and nowhere else in the Constitution, it goes back to the states to decide. And since guns is in that list, it goes to the federal government to decide. That's what those mean. We put those documents in the in the temple in the National Archives: Declaration of Independence, Constitution, Bill of Rights. It's what makes us who we are. It shows us that we're free. What is concerning is that if we were to write these today, it might be different. We might have the right to do, we might write this, we have the right to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, as long as it doesn't interfere with someone else's rights or as long as I can get away with it. That might be what we write today. That seems to be what we hear. And that's the problem today. We don't couple rights with responsibility. That's where our national conscience lives right there, that rights always come with responsibility. I know it sounds like a Spider-Man movie or something, but it's the truth. Rights come with responsibility or else things go horribly wrong. Parents know this. If you're a parent, you get this right away. You, uh, if your child who's driving the car does something wrong with the car, what do you do? You take away the keys. He's got a right to drive, he's got a license, but you take those keys away. Rights come with responsibilities. See, and if you divorce the two, the individual right and the individual responsibility, the result is anarchy and chaos and destruction. Freedom without responsibility undermines that freedom. Freedom can destroy freedom. We've turned it into I have the freedom to do anything I want, but if you just do anything you want, you're going to bring about destruction. And if everybody is demanding their rights with no consideration for others and without taking responsibility for the outcome of their free actions, then everybody loses their freedom. That's the way it is. There's no bill of responsibility. We have a bill of rights, but no bill of responsibility. And that's because the founding fathers made some assumptions. They assumed that there was a moral framework that would provide the the impetus for moral responsibility they The idea was that personal responsibility would not be implied. The idea that a personal responsibility would not be just implied was unthinkable at the time. Of course, you have personal responsibility that's the national conscience. It was a consensus of conscience, a sense of a national conscience one that you you read in our leaders' speeches. Uh, until not too long ago, the things that you read—you had to take care of your neighbor. You you had to do things for other people and lift people up. There was a responsibility, a civic responsibility that everybody had. That you would pay attention to what's going on in your city, in your state, in your county. You would be a part of the solution. That's the national conscience, and there was something more to it. There was a consensus in our nation of divine accountability as part of our national conscience. God was behind this country's formation. That's what we believed. People had different views of who God was, but there was this idea that God gave liberty. And because of that, there would have to be personal and national accountability. Individual rights were always expressed with a concern for other people. There was not a sense of, this is my right, and it doesn't matter how it affects the others or the community. No, it it always matters. And we expressed our rights within the context of what is necessary for building a nation. And there's lots of examples of this, but you find it in the preamble to the Declaration of Independence. And we're talking about Independence Day because today is Independence Day. You ever read the Declaration of Independence? Read the whole thing. Take some time to read that. There's some things in it that are kind of surprising. They have to do with relations with uh, Native Americans and other things. But there are some lines in there that you, you read all the time that are profound. And they have to do with the conscience, the the implied idea of what we believed a nation ought to be. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Self-evident. Uh, today we would say, duh. We hold these truths to be, duh, this is what they are. Obviously. That all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. See, and the whole idea that they come from the creator, is the notion that we're all accountable to God for how we exercise our rights. The rights don't come from government, they come from God. John Adams, President John Adams, he would eventually be president, he never owned a slave and he had a real grip on what the moral necessity was for Americans if the Constitution was going to be successful. He said, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. And what he meant by that is, is if there is no sense of divine accountability, see governments used to, and still do in a lot of the world today, define for you who God is. And governments will write God out of their, their system as we are trying to do here. If there's no sense of divine accountability or morality that is defined outside, the, outside of humans or government, then this experiment's going to fail. If God doesn't define morality, if there isn't a higher source from the creator, the, the, the old guys would say, the, the ruler of the universe, okay, if that's not where our morals come from, then they just come from human beings, and they come from governments. And if government is giving you your rights, then government can take them away. And if we give people rights without responsibility to God, freedom will devour freedom. It is a biblical notion. It's a notion that we see over and over again, and we're living it right now. See, if my rights are competing with your rights, eventually what happens is if I'm just standing up for my rights at the expense of your rights, then eventually the courts will have to decide whose rights are more important. And as soon as the courts are deciding if my rights are more important than your rights, then the government becomes the giver of rights and not God. You see how what happens there? As soon as I'm more concerned about my own rights than I am the rights of my fellow citizen then the government's going to have to decide because I'm going to sue, I'm going to write laws or try to get people elected who are going to bolster my rights at the expense of your rights. And then the courts will have to come in and make that decision. And then suddenly government is giving rights and not God. And in that process, the preservation of the rights that we've been given becomes impossible. The government will take away certain rights to satisfy the agenda of the majority, or it'll take away certain rights to satisfy a Political correctness or just plain tyranny. And today, our legal system has has divorced itself from the divine and moral absolutes. And this is why we're more and more burdened with more laws and regulations. Everyone keeps looking not to preserve rights, but to find a loophole to avoid any responsibility for violating another person's rights. Loopholes, we look for them. It's a natural thing that we do. When I say to my kids, "Don't run in the house," the next thing I know is they're skipping in the house. See. And uh, that's what happened. They look for the loophole in what Dad said. Well, he said he didn't run, so I'm going to walk fast. And they'll tell me that. Dad, you didn't say I couldn't skip around in the house. After they broke the lamp or broke their leg or did everything, you know, whatever it was I was trying to prevent them from doing. Adults do that, too. Remember when Bill Clinton was in trouble for all that uh, that stuff? And on the stand, he famously uh Said something, and then he said, Well, it depends on what the definition of the word is. is. And he tried to find nuance with the word is. And that's the same thing as saying, Well, you said don't run in the house, so I'm going to skip. That's the same thing. Now, all of this, if it's bringing you down, it's not to, it's to give you hope. All right. And I'll tell you something you are a big part of that hope. As Christians, we've been given the stewardship of our freedom in our life, and it translates into how we even govern ourselves, how we impact our friends and neighbors and the world, and it doesn't come in the voting booth. It comes in our relationships with how we treat people. Galatians 5 is going to tell us about that. We will be right back as the Pastor Scott Show continues. Stay tuned.
2: You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at scott at kkla.com. Or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Pastor Scott show. Fireworks after after the show. Maybe you're going to see fireworks somewhere else. Maybe you're going to light them off uh, someplace where that's allowed. Is there any place? I don't think there's any place in town where that's allowed. Uh, so be careful if you're doing that. You should not do that. Um you might be looking at that as, a way. well, I have the freedom to do it because I have them. Well, we're talking about freedom and the struggle for how maybe we've lost our freedom. And uh, we lose our freedom as soon as our our freedom is divorced from personal responsibility. As soon as we realize that we can have freedom to do whatever we want and we don't have to be accountable for what we do, that's how we lose our freedom. That's some of the struggle that we've been having. So in in the Book of Galatians chapter five, verse 13 says, you, my brothers and sisters were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. See, you're called to be free. That's the the state of human beings that we are meant to be. We are meant to be free, but we are not to use our freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. See, there's a downside to freedom. The downside is you can indulge in the flesh. You're free to do it. And you can do it in all sorts of ways, right? You do it as a kid, right? You know that you do that. My, my sophomore year in high school, my best friend, he turned 16, 16 years old in December of the sophomore year. I don't even know if you can be a sophomore that early, but back then, whatever the day was that you had, had to register for school, he qualified. So he was like, I think it was December 1st, and anybody after that, you could be in the, the year ahead. And so he was always the oldest person in the class, just about, unless somebody was born earlier in December. So he's 16, sophomore year. Most of us are barely even 15, and he gets his license, and he had a car, and it wasn't just a car. He had a 1969 Chevy Nova with a V8 engine and no seatbelts. That's the car that he had, and uh, you know how in your car the speedometer probably goes to 120 miles an hour? You know you can't really do it. Uh, In his car, you could. And uh, and so you did. And then you uh, you experienced the dark side of freedom. <laughs> you can do that. We uh, are very fortunate to uh, all of us were okay. And uh, nobody else was hurt. But, you know, we got in a lot of trouble uh, for that. By we, mostly he, you know, because I wasn't driving. But um, the thing is, is freedom without accountability and responsibility, it lose, it leads to a loss of our freedom. He lost his car at some point because of those kinds of things. It isn't that he didn't have the freedom to do stuff, If he could get away with it, that's what he thought. But he had personal responsibility to obey the law and protect other people. You know, the reason that you don't drive like an idiot in your 1969 Chevy Nova is, you know, not just to protect yourself. It's to protect the other people that you might hit. That's the reason that drunk driving is illegal, not just because you might hurt yourself or hurt property, but because you can hurt other people, destroy other lives. See, that's that's what matters. And so when you get your DUIs, you get your license taken away eventually and you get punished, you lose your freedom because you decided to have freedom without accountability. You gotta have it. Paul says in the Bible that freedom is a great thing, but don't indulge it in your sinful nature. Rather serve one another in love. Proper appreciation of freedom is not self-indulgence. Self-indulgence leads to loss of freedom. So verse 14, it's how do I leverage my freedom for the sake of others? Verse 14, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. See, that's the that's the thing. It's always a part of freedom is loving other people. The entire system of God's law can be summed up in one thou shalt, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the application of freedom. Same is true for a country. Verse 15 then says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. I and mean, that's what we're doing now is that in our country, we are struggling to love our neighbor as ourself. What happens is if there's our neighbor who disagrees with us, well, that person is going to get canceled or that person is going to get hate or that person is going to be destroyed online or doxed or whatever it is that you're going to do. The scripture makes it really clear if you bite and devour each other in your freedom, watch out, you're going to be destroyed by each other. See, that's what we have to get through. And when we think about freedom, if we want it to come back, we have to go back to our national conscience. We have to remember that these principles, they don't make you a Christian just because you have those principles, just because you believe in a God or you believe that rights come from God. It creates a conscience that our country has had. So in American freedom, our our forefathers understood that in order to maintain a society characterized by freedom, and there were thousands of years of people screwing up with this. So they didn't just come up with it one day. They had many, many, many failures to look at and then they came up with it there had to be a national conscience a national accountability and that somewhere in the system there needed to be inspiration not just to keep the law but that the law had to reside in the hearts of the people does that make sense that there the if you're going to create a country or a system that works you can't just write it down and expect people to obey it there has to be a conscience there has to be something in the people that inspires the people to actually do what is necessary to keep their freedom to care about other people to lift up other people and to do what is right you know the the declaration of independence uh and in a lot of the writings of the first uh, of our forefathers uh, these are guys who were not afraid to talk about religion within the bounds of law and politics you know today we get afraid of talking about that and we're worried that we're violating the separation of church and state which we get wrong all the time as far as what that means and just read anything that the founders Wrote They're always throwing God in there. And uh, people say, well, God's not in the Constitution. Well, no, he wouldn't be. If you read the rest of their writings, God wouldn't be in the Constitution because it's assumed that we are a nation under God and that God is all over the Constitution and everything else. See, the Declaration says, we, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress assembled appealing to the Supreme Judge, capital S, capital J, of the world for the rectitude of our intentions. See, they're, they're appealing to God. They don't name Jehovah, and they don't name the specific God. Most of them are Christians. Some of them are people who just believe generally in a creator. But they thought something the same. They thought throughout the process that we are appealing to the supreme God of the universe, that they had understood that they are not God, that they don't get to determine who God is, that God is just God, whoever God is. they They wrote, we are working under authority of a higher power, is what they're doing. The rectitude means the rightness of our intentions. They are hoping and assuming that what they are doing is the right thing according to who God is. They said, we are appealing to the divine judge, hoping that our acts and divine words are in accordance with what is true about the source of freedom. That's the sense that they're writing this document in. The United States of America in general Congress assembled, appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies solemnly punish and declare, publish, punish, publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free, ought to be based on what? Why would they ought to be free? Who decided you ought? Ought's an important word. You know, if you ought something, it's not like you just could do something. It's you ought to do something. And they said that they ought to be free based on what? Divine accountability. They understood that it was futile to create a free society without accountability to the creator. And then they would continue. And for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. See, once they've established it, the first thing they're going to do with their independence is pledge their entire fortune and honor and their lives. That's what they did. That's what the national conscience is, that I'm going to give up for others. That matters. Was there a law about that, that they had to do it? No. There was no law saying, thou shalt give up your your life, fortune, and sacred honor. Nothing. There was no law. They just understood something. They were going to leverage their home and everything they had in their life for the sake of freedom. And they didn't do it because of law. They did it because they thought it was the right thing to do. And that was something that became part of the national conscience. There was immediate problem with slavery because everybody knew that they're hypocritical to our own national documents, if not to God, to the national documents which relied on God. There was an immediate problem because they didn't offer these rights to slaves that would ultimately rectify itself in the Civil War that Lincoln would say was God's punishment for our failure to abolish slavery from the beginning. There has always been this sense of a conscience that if we're not listening to our national conscience, eventually God will allow us to destroy each other, because that's what happens when you take away the freedoms of others for the sake of your own. George Washington, when he wanted to, some people wanted him to have a third term, our first president, there was no law that said you couldn't run as a third term. That didn't happen until after FDR, and uh, we passed an amendment about that. In the world that they lived in, there were kings, right? And they came from England, and they were winning their independence from England, and they had a king. And the king got to be king because he happened to be part of the right family. And Washington, some people – now, Washington didn't actually have any kids himself, as far as we know. Um, So Washington has no descendants. There is a Washington national descendants group of people, but you have to trace yourself back to his grandfather in order to be a part of it. Um, and so there was an interesting thing about his presidency is that there was no son. There was no, uh, George W. Washington to uh, take over, uh, later on. It wasn't going to work that way, but he could have just stayed in the presidency until his death. People would have kept electing him and he decided, no, it's one of the most amazing things that, that he did. And the reason he decided no was because of a national conscience He knew it was important for the country, that it was better for everybody else that he would leave the presidency and go back to Mount Vernon and become a farmer in a very hard world to be a farmer in, that he would leave that and let somebody else be president. He knew that was the most important thing for the country, and that's why he did it. Whenever King George heard that President George turned down power and did not have a third term and went out to become a farmer after that. Here's what King George said. He said, if it is true that George Washington will not take the opportunity to become president of that nation for a third term, then he is truly the greatest man on earth. King George recognized that there is virtue for someone who says, I will not do this for my own self, but will give it up for the sake of others. That is national conscience. Washington understood the importance, his free decision in his freedom to not serve a third term. There was no law against it like there is now. He could have done it and nobody would have said anything. He knew it was the right thing to do. When George Washington gave his farewell address, he said a few things. He said, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports, meaning if all the things that we count on to maintain our freedom, we are foolish to think that we can maintain our freedom without religion and morality. It is an incredible statement that he makes there. And we need to think about that as our country today, as we try to move further away from God, as we are afraid to ask moral questions, is this right or wrong? And we try to celebrate things that are clearly not right, but we say people have the freedom to do it. This is where our our country is in trouble. And this country has the opportunity to get it back. I'll talk about that in just a minute as we get back this is the Pastor Scott Show. I'm Scott Furrow, your host, our special 4th of July weekend edition. Uh, I'll be back in just a moment. Don't go away.
2: You're listening to the Pastor Scott Show podcast. Have any questions or comments? Email Pastor Scott now at scott at kkla.com or tune in live weekdays from 3 to 5 p.m. Now back to the show.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Pastor Scott Show. And we've been talking about freedom and the responsibility that has to come with it. And you know what? All of our problems, our personal problems when we develop them, um, often happen because we we had freedom without accountability. We spent more money than we actually should have spent, and uh, now we have debt and we're paying interest. We And you can take it through all kinds of uh, different ways that causes us problems that way. A lot of the conversation we're having today about guns and about abortion and about the environment, other things that are controversial in our sub, our our country, one of the things that will bring back a greater sense of freedom is when we can attach our freedoms to responsibility, and we can be considering lifting other people up more as more important than lifting ourselves up. When we, as a nation, can follow the scriptures and realize that we are called to be free, but we should not be indulging in the sinful nature, as Galatians five says in the course of our freedom, or we will lose the freedom. And if you're afraid that we're losing the freedom, it's because we are doing that. But something about the United States that I think is important is that we can get it back. And the reason we can get it back is because we're actually a nation of the people. If we're relying on elected officials or bureaucrats to save us on their own, we have to recognize that those people are there representing us. And if they're not doing the job, then the responsibility is ours to change them. You know, Most presidents, not most presidents, but many presidents, when they're leaving office, they give a final address and they give some warnings in their final address. Uh, George Washington warned uh, against the rise of political parties he said that political parties would foster a spirit of revenge in our politics and that there would be cunning, ambitious and unprincipled men elected who would usurp for themselves the reins of government, destroying afterwards the very engines which have lifted them to unjust dominion. That's a scary statement. Um, Eisenhower famously warned of the military industrial complex, which we we have to a certain degree um you you get these warnings but if we go back and we listen it gives us a path and a way f- forward probably one of the most famous speeches which you should listen to today if you got time is Ronald Reagan's farewell address it's great and he was ending office in a period of people feeling really good about the country where he took office at a time when people felt really bad and it was a similar time to what we're dealing with now high inflation um lots of people worried about the future and even purpose of the country it was a bad era uh, end of the 70s you had you had the vietnam war and how that turned out you had watergate and the president resignation resigning uh there were you had energy crisis there was multiple many problems and our leaders were not very good at inspiring action inspiring people to come together reagan was great at that he was the great communicator they called him and when he left office people felt really good you know if you kind of want to know it bugs me when there's a presidential election and people say it's a landslide and you only got 300 electorals to 200 and you know whatever uh reagan got 525 electoral votes in 1984 uh there were only 10 he didn't get he lost the state of minnesota barely and uh the district of columbia 10 that's it uh that's how unified our country was. We didn't all agree on everything. We disagreed about abortion, and we disagreed about guns. We disagreed about immigrants and uh, illegal aliens and all the same stuff that we're disagreeing about today. But we had a greater sense of who we were as a people, and it's because he brought back a sense of accountability. He brought back a sense that with freedom comes responsibility to each other. And that's the kind of leadership we need. And when he left office, he warned us. He warned us that the good feeling that we have now, that the good feeling that they had at the time, the successes of that era. And he talked about the things that were the failures of that era, which you have to give him credit for doing. He said the the dangerous thing, and Reagan liked to say the dangerous thing about freedom is that it's only one generation away from extinction, you read about that in the Old Testament all the time, right? You have in the Bible, the people of Israel, and they're doing really great. And then they're, they're away from God, and they're doing evil on the side of the Lord. And you wonder, how did that happen when their parents were such good people? Well, you lose your freedom in one generation if you do not pass it along. So he wanted us to pass it along. And one of the things that he wanted to remind us of was that we, the people, are in charge of this country, actually.
4: We, the people, tell the government what to do. It doesn't tell us. We the people are the driver, the government is the car, and we decide where it should go, and by what route and how fast. Almost all the world's constitutions are documents in which governments tell the people what their privileges are. Our constitution is a document in which we the people tell the government what it is allowed to do. We the people are free.
1: See, we can be free when we want to have a country where we have freedom, but we also have accountability and responsibility, where those things come together. That's what we can do with each other. That is obviously something we want to do with our elected officials, but it's something that has to begin with ourselves. It's something that we have to understand about freedom. We have to understand that if we take it for granted, we're going to lose it. Reagan would continue with this.
4: We've got to do a better job of getting across that America is freedom. Freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of enterprise, and freedom is special and rare.
1: We have to make it clear that it is special and rare, even in the world today. Other quote-unquote free countries, um, you know, there's some studies out there that say they're more free than us. No, they're not. It depends on how you ask the question. We are the country who is the most free because we, the people, can change it. He was worried about this, and this is what he said. I
4: read a letter from a young woman writing to her late father who had fought on omaha beach her name was lisa zanata hen and she said we will always remember we will never forget what the boys of normandy did well let's help her keep her word if we forget what we did we won't know who we are i'm warning of an eradication of that of the american memory that could result ultimately in an erosion of the american spirit
1: In our country, the way forward is to remind people what freedom is, that it is rare that we can lose it very quickly, but to realize that we can have a national conscience, and that national conscience reminds us that we are to love other people, that we are to love others as we love ourselves. That's a very Christian response. And if you think about that in the context of any of the things that we're struggling with, that is what makes our country great. That's what would make any country great. And as long as we don't leverage freedom for personal gain, we leverage it, we leverage our freedom for the freedom of others, things are going to get better. And if you're worried about our country, worry about where you're at first with your freedom. There is something very, very precious about being able to move forward, knowing that you are lifting up other people, sacrificing yourself for them. That's what Jesus did for us. Jesus died for us. That's the example that we have that he could have used his freedom to come down off that cross and to not do it. He sacrificed for us. We need to leverage our freedom to give glory to Christ who gives us that freedom and then do that by loving our neighbor, by serving the people that are in our relational worlds, the people in our workplace, the people we go to school with, the people who live on our street, maybe the people we're having barbecues with today, the other people on the beach, even the people that we don't like very much, That guy who's playing the music too loud on the beach, what is that for? The person in your workplace who brings everybody down. Those people need to be loved and supported. That doesn't mean they don't get fired if they're bringing everybody down continuously, but you can care for them through the process. There are ways to do it. It doesn't mean you don't go tell the guy on the beach to turn the music down, and he might say no, but you can do it in a loving way. And most importantly is in your case, Are you the best example for your kids? Are you able to pass it along? And as President Reagan said, are you able to look at our history as a nation and teach that to the kids for what it really is, the good and bad? You don't need to clean it up. Because the the great thing about our freedom and our founding documents is that you can point out that our leaders didn't follow their own words. And yet the ideals that are in the Declaration of Independence, the ideals that were fought for and died for that is still an area where we can reach for it. There is still a place to go. We have not reached some sort of American dream and then found out it wasn't that good. We're not there yet. There is more to go. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. There is always something to pursue. There is always a way to give people more liberty. There is always a way to have a country that can actually grow and be strong. I believe fully that we could have revival in our land. I really believe that. But it's going to happen when Christians don't add to the problem. It's going to happen when we develop a national conscience that begins with us. You know, God tells us to apply our freedom in this way, to love one another. That Galatians 5:15. if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. That doesn't have to come true. Freedom is a gift from God, and our conscience must be tuned in to loving one another. That's what we should do. The acts of the Galatians will continue this way. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, we used that passage with the beginning and the end of it with sort of the uh, the harsher, you know, vices that are there. But right in the middle there, discord, hatred, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. They're in the same list. Dissensions, factions, that can't be us as Christians. If you want to move forward in freedom, then have a conscience about those things and love your neighbor. And you find out that Jesus is right and that the application of freedom not only works just for you in your life, but it impacts the whole nation. All right, friends, I hope that you have a great 4th of July. Whatever your plans are for tonight, I hope that you stay safe. I hope that you are responsible, and I hope that you uh, lift each other. God bless you, and I will see you tomorrow. And enjoy your day. This is the Pastor Scott Show. We'll be back as the Pastor Scott Show continues. Stay tuned.